0: You're listening to Agile Next, the next-generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte.
1: Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile is heading to next.
0: The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your Agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco
1: Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 8, August 4th, 2016. Today's guest is Steve Porter, an agile coach and trainer who works with individuals around the globe to help them implement the Scrum framework. He is currently a team member at Scrum.org, working with Ken Schwaber on his mission to improve the profession of software development. His role includes helping manage the Scrum.org trainer community, and he also contributed to the development of Ken Schwaber's Nexus framework, a framework for scaled Scrum initiatives. Steve, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: That's oh, great to have you. And I've, I've known you a long time, so this is a, a, great, a great interview to have. And I know that we've talked a lot about agile methodologies being a little bit more mature, or I'll put in air quotes, old. So a question I have for you that I'm sure our listeners would love to hear your opinion on is, is Scrum still relevant now that it's, quote, old?
2: That, that is a great question it's certainly something that I have to deal with uh, day in and day out as an organization that's really um, heavily invested in helping teams be successful at scrum I get up every morning wondering whether people are going to need our help anymore I mean scrum's been around now for over 20 years you'd think there's you know the certain the possibility that people don't need our help anymore that they're able to, to do it well and not need guidance and help but you know, every day when I go to bed, I'm like, yeah, people still need help. People still need uh, assistance, even though it's really simple. The framework is not that hard. People still need help. And I don't know what you're seeing out there, but I'm still seeing lots of people struggling with some of the basics, struggling with kind of the foundational pieces of Scrum, which is to, to get software out the door every 30 days.
1: I definitely see it. I'm surprised at some of the scrum gatherings that I speak at and attend in other places where where folks are still struggling with these things that maybe we, because we've solved some of these problems on our own in the past, <clears throat> or we've solved some of these problems on our own in the past, take for granted.
2: And, and the things they're struggling with, uh, it gets me a little frustrated. I've been dealing now with a huge collection of I call them scrum myths when I'm, I'm out there and people all um, often work conferences. So people will come over to me and, and they'll have a, a bit of a, a bee in their bonnet and they'll come over and it's like, Oh, scrum doesn't work. Scrum is awful. Scrum ruined my life. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a good little Canadian. Oh, I will. It's like, Oh, please talk to me more about this. Let's, let's have a conversation and they will um, talk about all of the things they're struggling with. And I, and I look at them and I'm, part of me wants to give them a hug because they are struggling, but part of me wants to slap them upside the face because it's like all the things you're talking about have, I won't say nothing to do with Scrum, but they're not Scrum problems. They're just your ball of dysfunction problems. And and a lot of of the challenges they're, they're struggling with really could be solved if they went back and focused on the core foundation of scrum which is empiricism which is dealing with complex environments inspecting and adapting and instead people come up to me and and say oh i'm we're having trouble with our sprint burn down and sprint burn downs are killing us and or we're having trouble because you know we're we we do not know how to write good user stories and i always stop them it's like you know if you're, if you're really struggling with writing good user stories, then do something else. And they're like, What? But you we, want to do Scrum? We have to do user stories and we have to do velocity and we have to do story points. I'm like, Well, actually, no, you don't need to. Really, Scrum's such a really simple framework. It's got three roles, five events, three artifacts. Focus on doing those well. And hopefully, all those other things you're struggling with will. Maybe they'll go away. Maybe you won't do story points anymore. Maybe you'll find some other way of estimating. But focus on the core pieces of Scrum and don't get caught up in all of these Scrum myths. Um, I don't know about uh, about you, Steve, but, but do your team struggle with estimating and story points and, and user stories and some of those pieces?
1: Every team I've ever worked on uh, struggles with user stories and story points specifically. And, of course, ultimately estimation. And I feel that they're coming from an environment where I'm not getting into the things like the cone of uncertainty and stuff like that, but they're coming from an environment where estimates are very hard and and very um, tightened tightened down where they start thinking about user stories oh and story points always always as a temporal always as time, not as a subjective uh, not as a subjective measure. I think Daniel you were complaining about the same in some of the co- teams you're coaching as well.
0: I worked with one particular team that was struggling at the U.S. Treasury Department. And um, finally, I said, hey, guys, you, you enjoy breaking things down into smaller pieces, but you hate estimating. So why don't we just make a simple working agreement that, you know, everything should be a day or less and go from there? And they loved it, you know. So that's basically my little anecdote about how the U.S. government threw out estimating and everything worked just fine. What did they do and replace? What did they do to replace that? They just broke down the product backlog items into one day chunks or less and we went by a number of items. That was it.
1: And and Steve, I know you've worked with me before at an ISV that had very fixed deadlines. So the dates, you know, the product was released three times a year on a certain date and we knew in January what those dates were. Um, what was your experience estimating and working with story points in, in an environment like that?
2: So the... That environment was, for me, one of the great examples of where Scrum, if done well, can make a huge difference in a business's ability to be successful. Um, one of my favorite anecdotes is I was uh, dealing with one of our releases. Um, we planned out about four months' worth of work, and it was all fairly kind of loose and fuzzy, as it, as it kind of should be. And we get to the last couple of weeks kind of we're looking at looking at our last sprint and I'm sitting down with the head of sales and marketing and I'm looking over all of the work that we have left. And I said to, you know, our, our head of sales markets, like, you know, I know we had a certain date set in our calendar, but with the amount of work we have left, you know, I'd like to expend, extend it out a couple of weeks. Uh, it's just a single sprint. It shouldn't be a big deal. Um, you know, can but for the amount of work that we have left, I think we've got really two sprints worth of work and not one sprint's worth of work. And the the look she gave me was like dagger. She's like, No, no, Steve, you don't understand. If we don't get this release out, we're not gonna make our quarterly numbers. And I'm like, excuse me, what do you mean by our quarterly numbers? It's like, well, we need to we need to make so much in sales and if we push it out by two weeks, that's gonna push the sales, our sales into the next quarter, which means we don't make those numbers. And I'm like, well, but we're still going to make the sale. We're just going to make them two weeks late. And we had a very long, painful discussion about how important it is to, it was to make quarterly, quarterly numbers there. So I went back to the drawing board and said, okay, we need to, we need to release all of this work. We've only got two weeks left. Sat down with her. We looked at all of the items left in the backlog, and we were doing really good scrum. We had done all of the high-priority work, First, we had shippable software every two weeks. So I looked at all of the work in the backlog. That was two sprints worth, four weeks worth. I sat down with her and said, okay, here's here's what will fit. Here's what won't fit. And she looked at what wouldn't fit and went, that's really all low priority work. You, You hit all of the major pieces. I'm good if you can get just this two weeks worth of work done, everything else will be fine. I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. We shipped on time. She was happy. We made our quarterly numbers. And the only way I was able to do that was because every two weeks we had potentially shippable software, which is really that core piece of Scrum that so many people miss. And I think back to other projects I was I was on where we weren't doing good testing. We weren't doing good engineering practices where we always had functioning software. And if I had to cut two weeks out of a four or five months project, that two weeks would have been testing and we would have been unshippable. And because we were doing good scrum practices and we're really focusing on done software, which I think is one of the key pieces that is in the scrum framework that people don't really focus on enough. And this is this idea of done. And because we had Done the software, when the business said we need to ship, engineering said, okay, and we gave it to them.
1: Right. We have we have this we have this stuff that we can present to the customer as opposed to you know pieces of a jigsaw puzzle.
2: And not only present to the customer, but give it to them in a production environment so they can actually use it for real and give us feedback on something that's really working and not screenshots and not prototypes and not something that isn't real as far as the customer goes. And that piece is so often missing from uh, from development teams, this idea of every calendar month, every 30 days or less, have something that is production ready. And I think that's where Scrum still can help a lot of companies who are still struggling with the idea of, you know, software is hard, we have these deadlines, we can't make them, I want some predictability, but software is complex, how can I get that predictability? And I tell them, well, you're right, software is hard, software is difficult. And, you know, I may not be able to predict, you know, a certain level of velocity from my team, I may not be able to predict certain deadlines, but I can predict every 30 days or less, I'm going to give you functioning software.
0: I, that those are great points steve it, you know most of the world realizes the value of scrum and and once they fully truly get it and see how it it's intended to work as a systemic approach to to value delivery mm-hmm. however it seems like it seems like there's a very small segment of the it community that is sort of rebelling against scrum or or sounding off against scrum and it seems like there's some backlash criticisms of scrum. Can you share with us some of your insight and, and opinions on based on this backlash?
2: I am certainly seeing a lot of people coming to me and saying Scrum's not working for us. And and I do feel I feel sorry for those people. They're obviously in very complex environments. It's not as if they're they're bad people or they they're they're not smart people. Uh, but we have to remember that creating software is is complex. We're we're doing something that's never been done before. And for organizations like that, I always tell them just to, to go back to the basics, to look at the things that they may be criticizing, they may be having trouble with, and, and giving them the freedom to say, well, if that's not working for you, then, then maybe try something else. Um, I've, I have certainly sat down with people, and when they have explained to me their environment that they're in, I've turned around and said, you know... Scrum's not a good is, is not going to be a good fit for you, and, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having to use a different set of processes and practices in your environment because you are unique. Uh, I had a, a great line from one of our uh, trainers, one of the, the people in the community that I work with, uh, and they said, you know, if, a, if an organization really isn't going to embrace empiricism and embrace self-organization, then Scrum might not be a good good fit for them. And and maybe there's some other set of practices that will work that will work for them. Scrum's not perfect. Scrum's not going to fit in every environment. But if you're in an environment where things are complex and you're willing to um, provide people some self-organization, you're willing to inspect and adapt, you're willing to Embrace failure as an opportunity to learn more if you're in those sort of environments then I I would say Look at what scrum can give you look at the basics of it the the three different roles the five events the three artifacts look at those Focus just on doing those well and and hopefully the rest will will come into play Steve I know you spend like you're you're on the West Coast you're in Silicon Valley I'm I'm wondering how startups and how those organizations that maybe feel that you know they're they're too small or they they don't need any process um i wonder how they feel about scrum
1: the organizations out here in silicon valley that are that are small and these are the ones that have um maybe not received the large venture funding that you read about like like the ubers and airbnbs but the smaller ones they all feel like they're too small for formal process, and then what they do is they just kind of run really, really fast with no process and call it agile. And you know, when they get more mature, they realize that that's not you know, and that it has one or two results that will either they'll either fail miserably, and that contributes to the demise of the organization. And it's not the only reason. Obviously, they have to have good business models and things like that. But if that company becomes successful despite the lack or the poor the lack of or the poor process. When they get a little larger, they start to put the process in, and that's when they start turning to things like scrum. So it's 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 definitely a a mentality of when they're under fifteen or twenty people, like oh no no, we don't want any process, um, and then you know start growing into it, which I, I I don't think is actually all that healthy, but it does seem to be what's going on around here.
0: And
2: and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with someone comes to me and says, you know, our environment is so chaotic at the moment, we are not even sure if we've got a business, and we need to pivot and we need to change drastically and radically on the dime, which is where a lot of startups are because they don't know if they're going to have funding from, from day in to day out. Uh, I'm okay with them experimenting with whatever works for them. And, and in that case, it might just be heroics. But I would expect that as companies start to move from that chaos that is startups and it's and it's glorious chaos it's i mean it's again creating value from nothing which is just amazing but as they move from that chaos into uh areas where things are certainly still complex but but not crazy that's where i'm hoping the 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 values of scrum that embracing courage and commitment and to um to a certain degree embrace failure um, I'm hoping those values will re- really resonate with the, uh, with the startup community.
1: And I, I had this experience with my own startup where I, I would say that we did mostly heroics and we were about three people, two, two technical people, one non-technical person, and we just kind of got crap done, right? We just ran, ran, ran. And once we added, we started outsourcing in India and added some more developers and we added some more business people in New York where we were based and we were probably about seven or eight people of the whole organization. And that's when we actually started to use more formal practices and, and grow into those practices. So I, I, you know, my experience kind of dovetails pretty nicely with what you said. And it
2: does really allow me to reinforce that uh, there are some environments where Scrum is just not, and I, and I won't say it won't work, but it might not be the most optimal Um, Certainly one of the discussions I'm hearing a lot from our trainers is the whole Kanban versus Scrum diatribe, war, uh, religious discussions that you have. And and I'm one of the first ones to say, you know, uh, there's a lot of really good, solid practices in Kanban. And if you're in an environment where uh, it's hard to plan, where you're uh, really focusing more on flow than on, on cadence, then maybe some of the Kanban practices can, can help you out. And if you're in an environment, again, that is so incredibly chaotic. And I think of some of the environments I've been in where they're basically just doing uh, short-term service requests and they're, they're doing sort of maintenance where they're much more interrupt-based I'd be the first one to say, you know, you you really need to look at what uh, what Kanban and some of those practices can can bring to you to help you visualize the work better and to help you uh, better understand where the work comes from and, and uh, limiting work in progress. So please embrace those. But, you know, you might still look at some of the stuff that's in the Scrum Guide and it might still provide you some value. Um, human beings are... We're kind of built around cadences, right? We've got a 24-hour clock. We're, we're built around a seven-day work week. We're, we, we break the calendar down into months. We break you know larger periods or those larger pieces down into smaller time cadences just because naturally that's how we work. One of the things that, that human beings are uh, really good at or that they require are our, our cadences. Um, People are used to 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, four weeks or so in a month. We tend to break these larger time portions down to smaller time portions and and like regular cadences. So even if you're in an organization that is more interrupt driven, that uh, has challenges with uh, that are going to be fixed using flow, I would say look at the scrum framework and some of its cadences and you may find there's some benefit in there for you so even if you're even if you know things are really chaotic here and and it's hard to plan out even a day's worth of work stopping you know at least every 30 days uh, that's the maximum you could do it less often maybe once a week just stop and say okay what do we want to what do we want to accomplish this week you know a tiny little bit of planning and then at the end of that week, say, hey, how did we do? What did we produce? Do we want to talk to our customers and, and uh, show them anything that we've done and get feedback from them about what we should be working on next? And for me, probably the most in, important cadence in Scrum is that retrospective cadence. At least once every 30 days, like no matter what you're doing, no matter – Uh, whether you're in a really simple environment or whether you're in an incredibly, even a chaotic environment, at least once a month, get together with all of the people working together and say, hey, how did that month go? How did that last period go? Is there anything that we want to celebrate and we want to remind ourselves that we did really well so we can do it again? Is there anything that we want to improve as a group of people having to work together? And let's just... Take some time out of our busy day to actually look at how we can improve what we're doing. That whole idea of continuous improvement is really important in complex uh, and complicated and chaotic environments. And that's the one thing that Scrum really gives you is this very definitive continuous improvement cadence that uh, I don't care what you're doing, you should be doing that.
0: It's kind of like injecting science back into, you know, the art of producing products um, by establishing empirical process control, right?
2: Absolutely, and I think people sometimes forget that at the very core of Scrum is that whole idea of empiricism. It's about uh, looking at what we've done in the past and using what has actually happened. To drive what we're going to do, or to help us make decisions about what we're going to do in the future, um, I have a uh, one of the things that we do at Scrum.org. For every new trainer who applies to to work with us, uh, they get to sit in front of a peer review, which is a collection of trainers get together and basically it's a it's a bit of a gauntlet. We grill you with questions for um, at least an hour um, and just trying to see, you know, what do you think about Scrum? How are you going to how are you going to respond when you get really tough questions? And on the last peer review we had, we had somebody talking about velocity. And velocity is always an interesting subject when you're talking about Scrum. And and this this trainer was talking about um, how velocity, it it helps with prediction and how it's, it's all about making software predictable. And we had to stop him because we really wanted to remind him, it's like, we're talking about complex domains here and when you're when you're looking at empiricism predictability takes on a a different a different view and with velocity and empiricism that velocity is an input into your planning not an output and it's less about being predictable having a predictable velocity because if If your goal is to have a predictable velocity, then you've basically thrown empiricism out the door. That velocity then becomes some sort of metric that your teams might be judged against instead of being what it should be, which is just a measure of what what we've done over the last cadence, and use that as an input into
1: your next planning phase. And Steve, have you seen um, some of the conversations around scaling in the environment, in the community? Because what you're talking about here is you know, when you start thinking about Scrum outside of IT, I start to think of scaling.
2: Oh, absolutely. And it is certainly over the last, I would say, 18 months or so, it is something that has really um, consumed or really um, the Agile community has been having lots and lots of discussions. I think... Uh, scrum in smaller settings and Agile in smaller settings, one, two, three teams have uh, four. In most cases, teams have just figured it out. They still struggle with it a little bit, but uh, the low-hanging fruit for individual teams was, was taken care of. And now as these larger organizations realize that if they don't become Agile, they're going to be dead, they've started to look at, okay, how can we implement this stuff that seems to work really well at one or two or three teams, and start to uh, apply to larger endeavors. And uh, one of the the first uh, frameworks, one of the first approaches that had a lot of success was Dean Leffingwell's uh, scaled agile framework, SAFE, and and it it was uh, very successful because he did really uh, understand those. Large organizations and some of the challenges that they are going to come come across when they're when they're scaling agile, and he seemed to have an answer for them. Um, but there was certainly a period of time where there's a bit of a backlash uh, from uh, agilists out there who were really looking at some of what he was suggesting and saying, "But that's not really agile. It's not really embracing self-organization." And I think what we've seen over the last little while, um, certainly with uh, the introduction of LESS and with Ken's framework, the Nexus, we've seen a little bit of a, and, and I will say in, 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 uh, for Dean, some of the changes he's made to his framework, we've almost seen a, uh, an embrace of what Agile really was at the beginning. And this is a small collection of teams, empiricism, self-organization. Um, I was having an interesting conversation with our COO when he was talking about uh, this Star Wars analogy and how um, the first push for Agile Scrum and XP was kind of like the, the first Star Wars movie. And I'm talking, you know, the the, the fourth one, the first one,
0: the original one, the yeah, only good one,
2: the original one. Thank you. Right. Um, and, and then some of what we were seeing come out of some of these organizations trying to help with scaling. And, Kind of a reimposition of command and control was a little bit of the Empire Strikes Back, um, where the the powers at be that were being challenged wanted to re reassert uh, control.
1: Bad guys won in the Empire Strikes Back.
2: They did, but not in the end. They didn't. In the end, we did have this uh, movement back towards. Uh, good practices, and it's that that you know. I, and I think we're in a bit of a, a period right now of the the third movie, where we're starting to see some uh, some hope come out of some of that reimposition of the command and control. And I'd like to think that uh, Ken's framework, the Nexus, is going to be part of that um, ability of still remembering that we still have people who are developing software. And it's not, even, even if you're in a large organization and, and on endeavors with, you know, eight and nine scrum teams, you know, may have hundreds of people working on that. At the end of the day, we still have people uh, delivering software and we need to embrace uh, their knowledge. We need to embrace self-organization uh, because at the end of the day, if, if we don't really empower the people creating the software, no matter what, Practices or anything we put on top of that, we're we're just not going to be able to produce uh, produce good software.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that we're producing software. Um, I, I feel that the scaling conversation forgets the fact that outside of software development, there's all these other frameworks and there's all these other invested people with other things, and some of them working really really well, like customer development, the lean startup methodologies, and and things like that. And ultimately. Scrum was adapted from the manufacturing floor to the software development shop specifically to develop software.
2: I, I agree. And, and not that all of those other pieces aren't really important. If you're running a really large business, then how you uh, do your budgeting, how you manage accounting, how is capitalization going to work correctly, all of those things, how are we going to manage our portfolio, all of those are really important. But if the people doing the work are unable to at least every thirty days, produce software that is production ready. All of that other stuff isn't going to make any difference whatsoever. And it really, we do really, we, uh, we do really need to remind companies that uh, software is an asset. If it's not an expense anymore, like there are so many companies right now that may have. May have at one time looked at IT as being a, a, an expense that, you know, we really just need to reduce our costs. But so many organizations right now realize that it is one of their biggest assets. and It is one of the things that can really give the organization uh, some key differences from their competitors. And you need to treat it like an asset. You need to invest in it. You need to... Um, Make sure that you're doing everything you can possibly do so that the people producing this asset have the tools that they need and are able to um, invest in a critical part of your company.
0: So, Steve, we ask all of our guests the same question because the premise of our show is what's in store for Agile next? So it'd be great to get your opinion and your thoughts on where is Agile headed in the future?
2: I I think where you're going to see Agile head into the future is uh, a little bit of going back to the basics, uh, a little bit of uh, going back to remembering that it is about people producing software. So there have been a lot of uh, additions, there's a lot of uh, extra practices that have been added to software, but I think uh, the more that we do that, I think we're going to, Uh, come back to the foundation, come back to the basis, which is empiricism, which is good engineering practices. It's some of those basics with with XP. And I think that's what we're really going to be seeing over the next little while.
1: And Steve, what's the store for you next? What's happening? Any new um, interesting projects you're working on or new initiatives over the next year or two?
2: The thing that gets me the most excited um, right now is my work at scrum.org trying to find professionals out there who are really excited about Scrum and want to go out and help organizations um, become better at software development. So I'm going to be um, out at conferences. I'll be uh, at the big Agile conference in Atlanta coming up this summer. I'll be traveling to Australia. I'll be uh, traveling, you know, wherever people will be doing software development. I'll be out there looking for people who are excited about uh, about helping people be better at scrum and looking to see if you want to join our, our, trainer, our trainer community.
1: Well, Steve, that's been uh, great. Thank you so much for being on our show.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Please join us next week on Agile Next with our guest, Peter Green.
0: Big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at FrescoCapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at Apple Brook.com. We hope to see you next week on Agile Next. In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv.